Hello again, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. This one will get to most of you on uh, August the 29th. And man, I'm really excited because we are starting to have a lot going on in the world of sports. This will be a a sports-heavy episode. That's What G Said Podcast. The next episode, we'll have a couple recaps in of some TV shows that are uh, happening right now that are popular shows that I've been watching. So we'll go through some episodes of those next time on the menu for this episode. That's what she said. We'll start out with a little MLB. We'll check in. We'll see what's happening. We'll see where the uh, the lay of the land is. College football. Fan thoughts. Some posts from all of you and how you feel your teams are going to do this year. And then we'll take a look at what the college football schedule is like coming up. Week one, we had a couple games in what was called week zero. Little Lakers talk. They signed Dwight Howard. Give you some thoughts on that. Kobe and Shaq had a little drama back and forth in the media. Kuzma, is he hurt? Is it a big deal? The NFL, Andrew Luck retired. I'm sure everybody heard. We'll talk about that for a, a bit. Raiders, Hard Knocks. We'll recap episode four. Just one more episode left. We'll get you everything that happened in Raiders, Hard Knocks episode four. Fantasy football. We're going to go through the top 60 wide receivers, and then we're going to go through the top 20 tight ends. So, Wide receivers, tight ends, everything you need to know for your draft. Who we like, we don't like. We'll put them in tiers. When you should draft them. Who do we expect to have a big season? And then some uh, some deep sleepers at the end. Horse racing news. We'll recap the Travers and the, the races on the undercard. And we'll give you a, a play for Friday at Del Mar. Horse I like at Friday. Del Mar, race number one. Close things out with a little WWE, Raw, and SmackDown. So as you can see, we have a lot going on, so let us get right into it. Baseball. Got to give a shout-out to a listener and a buddy, Chris Long. He has the A's at 75-1. to He bet a few bucks on them to win it all. Best of luck, Chris Long. And he also has the Dodgers at uh, at 9-2. to So he'd love the A's and the Dodgers in the World Series. He's a Cubs fan, but... When he, he bet these tickets So he would love to see maybe the Cubs In the mix too They've been struggling a little bit as of late But we'll get to the Cubbies in just a second Chris thanks for uh, for checking in with us The Yankees Take two or three from the Dodgers Over the weekend But it really looks like The it's the Yankees The Astros and the Dodgers Have kind of separated themselves And it looks like they're going to battle for the best Record in baseball as of right now, they're deadlocked. They're tied. I just watched Kenley Jansen blow a save, which I did not like. And so this game is still the Dodger game is still tied as I'm I'm recording this. And the Yankees recently won. But I think there's nothing about these three teams that we're gonna find out that we didn't already know. The Dodgers issues, the bullpen, as we saw again tonight. That was a seventh blown save for Kenley Jensen this year. For the Yankees, it's their starting pitching. Will they have enough to get to their very strong bullpen? And then maybe they hit a lot of home runs. Will they be able to get good enough at bats? And the Dodgers also an, an issue for them a lot of the times is is the timely hitting. They've been very good at that this year, but that's always been an Achilles heel of theirs through the years. And when they struggle, they go back to having plenty of opportunities to score and not being able to get a hit or manufacture some runs. The Astros overall, pretty well balanced. I think their bullpen is... is Beatable, you can get to it. Starting pitching looks tough. Deep lineup, they're going to be good. I think mean, I think we're all kind of expecting there to be a Yankees, 
Astros playoff series, but the Twins will will try to have something to say about that. They've actually been playing very well. It's been a good week and a half for the Twinkies. They are now three and a half games up on Cleveland, and they're seven and three in the last ten. Won four in a row. After Cleveland made that bid, the Twins kind of held strong. They weren't a team that was necessarily playing poorly. It was just that Cleveland was playing really, really well for a lengthy period of time. So right now in the wild card in the American League, it looks like it's a three, maybe three and a half team race. The Indians and the A's are the two wild card teams. The Indians have a game and a half lead over Oakland. And then the Rays are a game behind the A's. So those three teams, they're separated by a couple games. The Indians, they're the number one wild card team right now. Oakland's the number two wild card team. Tampa and Boston, they're battling. Boston now is kind of quietly only five out of it again. We only got about 30 games left for everyone, so things would have to break really, really well for Boston. But man, if they got in, they'd be a very scary team. In a one game series, in a one game wild card, and then then they kind of get into a series where they're playing with house money, and they never really felt like they were going to get in the playoffs all year. So we'll see how Boston can do in the next week or two. Can they pick up another game or two on everyone else, and and really give themselves a little bit of a shot with the last couple weeks of the the season? Right now, we'd have in the American League side of the playoffs, it would be the Indians versus the A's. It would be the A's at the Indians, so Cleveland will be hosting that game in the wild card. The winner of them would face the Yankees, and then it would be the Twins versus the Astros in the other series. Over the National League, the Braves still holding strong out in the AL East, but uh, in the NL East, excuse me, holding strong in the NL East. But the Nationals have been one of the hottest teams in baseball. 15 and 5 in their last 20, 54 and 26 at uh, one point since May 24th. 54 in their last 26 over an, 54 and 26 over an 80 game span. It's not a little sample size we're talking about. Cardinals lost tonight and the Cubbies won. So now the Cardinals are up two games on the Cubbies in the AL Central, but they've been playing some really good baseball. They're five and a half up on the Brewers. Jack Flaherty has been incredible in his last five start, uh, last nine starts since July the seventh. Fifty six innings pitched, he's only given up twenty eight hits and only five earned runs. Seventy strikeouts, fifteen walks, a zero point eight ERA and a one forty four batting average against. Looking like a true number one. The NL wild card right now. There are a few more teams in the mix, and. We see with the Dodgers kind of dominating. We don't have to hold talk uh, out in the NL West. We don't have to hold, talk about that, about that division a whole lot. But the Nationals are the number one wild card team. They're up three games over the Cubs, who are the number two wild card team. The Phillies are two games behind the Cubs. The Brewers are three and a half games behind the Cubs. The Mets are four games behind the Cubs. Diamondbacks are four and a half games behind the Cubs. It's funny we looked at. Boston, we said, do they have a chance? They're only five out of it. And then you look, there are the Nationals, the Cubs, the Phillies, the Brewers, the Mets, the Diamondbacks, all within five of a wild card spot. Two of them will get in. 
Right now, it would be the Cubs at the Nationals in that wild card game. The winner would that game would take on the would come to L.A. take on the Dodgers, and it would be the Cardinals at the Braves in the other series. So, your little check in with baseball over and over on Fangraphs. It's a website I, I I like to look at. They are finally buying into the fact that the Cardinals are going to win the division. The Fangrass has really liked the Cubs throughout most of the year, and they had continued to think the Cubs were going to win the division all the way up until real recently. So it'll be interesting to see how close those numbers jump back and forth because that's a really good site that uh, does a great job with with a lot of their projections for the, uh, the season and wins and things like that. Wanted to discuss... A little bit of college football. And first things first, I asked for your thoughts and how you feel about your teams. Because for me, I'm a Trojan fan, and we're going to get to USC in just a minute. But I'm not very confident in, in them this year. I'm very... I just have no idea what this team is going to be like because they're always very talented, but they just... They've not been very well coached over the last few years, so I am concerned about the the Trojans a little bit. But let's talk about some of your teams and your thoughts. Toast Man from Philly's more of a general fan. He said, I root for Penn State. A few hours away, but not a diehard fan. I uh, like all the conferences, especially the SEC. Hates Notre Dame. And he said, uh, not uh, too many people root for a team from Indiana. Let's see, uh, Ryan K., Gophers can win the Big Ten West this year Shocking prediction will be undefeated Going into November Hashtag row the boat That's Ryan who is over on Twitter So we're reading through the uh, the tweets first And K Schlag is a Fresno State fan Tony Mack, Georgia Tech and West Virginia Both the new coach and staff Hope both can get the six wins But Mark Rossini doesn't think they quite have the personnel yet He said it's going to be a tough year for them Maybe only can get to three wins. Uh, Just Dana says, Woo, Pig Suey, Arkansas Razorbacks. Legend Striker 2 likes the Temple Owls. Thinks they'll go 8 and 4, 7 and 5, and playing some crappy pool game in late December versus Toledo or, Armo or, some, or Army or something. Exciting. Andy Villanueva says, uh, Giga Maggies. Booker Washington says, Boomer Sooner, national champs. Stephanie Clare says, A USC fan all the way, but they need a new coach. Last season was boring. Ronald Ladisinski says, Go Blue. Hilton Mitchell says, UNC and Mac is back. Brandon Comester says, The Cornhuskers, I feel we can win the Big Ten West this year, but also wearing my red shaded glasses. Hashtag Homer. Adam Ryan says, The Cornhuskers, so much hype surrounding this season, but I remember what we are building off. Seven and five, eight and four seems like a reasonable jump. Those were some of your thoughts over on Twitter. Love. To get all of the interactions So if you ever see me posting and asking for a question On Twitter read, let, uh, Do my best to read through most of them Same thing over on Facebook Gary Williams is a UCLA fan He said he likes Oregon and Washington later in the season And in the other division he likes Utah He thinks is the best Pac-12 team period He says the Bruins are the long shot He thinks they win at least 8 games I like the Bruins a little bit too this year I think they have a shot They have a, a pretty good schedule Where they don't play Oregon and they don't play Washington they have a couple key games early on that could be tough. The first game right off the bat at Cincinnati could be a real big indication of what their season will be like. But I think they have a shot to get over if you can get six and a half, 
seven. I, th- I think I've seen six and a half most places, or even six. Dave Foster says Michigan State. They have a favorable schedule this year. He said eight wins for sure if they avoid injuries. Possible nine or ten if things go well, they get some bounces. Wins against Tulsa, Western Michigan, Arizona State, Indiana, Penn State, Illinois, Rutgers, Maryland, losses at Ohio State, at Michigan, who knows, at Wisconsin, at Northwestern. Nice to hear from Dave. Get ready for some fantasy football next week, Dave. SE Slade says, SE, no matter what, they will fight, uh, be back. Nice to hear from SE Slade. We went back and forth a little bit as I'm concerned the SC's got a tough schedule. But he was mentioning last year, you know, they didn't have a, the easiest schedule to start. Hopefully, uh, he thinks JT and Daniels will improve big time with Harrell. Hopefully, the uh, the new offense can help the young quarterback. Paige Suzanne Campbell is a Notre Dame fan. Grew up following, not about to stop. Nice to hear from Paige. Billy Roberts, Ohio State, all the way. Go Bucks. UCLA for Greg Flores Says he thinks they'll get to 7 wins And they're the sleeper Greg Good luck Stan Ware also UCLA fan Says uh, hope one day they'll be the team But he says he doesn't think it'll be anytime soon He roots for all Pac-12 teams and against Alabama Good to hear from Stan Jeff Riggs Says Kentucky over 6.5 They lost a lot of talent from last year's 10 win team But the foundation is there, the schedule's even better Stoops using the no respect tactic to get these guys Ready to avoid any letdown And Georgia, at Georgia, the only impossible game They should win At least 8 Doug Dwyer says UCLA will lose to Cincy tomorrow He says take the over, the Cincy defense will allow The points, but the higher power offense Will keep them in the games Michigan Wolverines all the way for Bill Chris Long Good to hear from Chris again Posting the USC hat Chris Barr says Ohio State with a big year in front of them Wade Miller says Whoever I gamble on A least here LSU Keith Venturoni The University of Over And sometimes their interstate rival the, Culver, the College of Under Ray Johnson's a Michigan fan He just wants to beat Ohio State Mike O'Brien says Go Big Red Nebraska Chris Kieran University of Illinois Fighting a line eye And they will suck as always the U, 8-4 and four for John Bartowiak Jr. He says, tough loss week one. Isaac Torres, whoever he bets on. The Bulldogs, Georgia for Mark. Monagura. Becky McPherson Johnson says, Alabama. Due to, says, uh, in a little trouble due to some injuries. With a couple freshmen starting at backer. Um, Tom Pogue, Sooner Schooner to run wild. Says the defense is top 60 this year Look out, it was 108 last year John Parquette says Urban Meyer on his way to USC Be patient, go Knowles Louisville, 4-8 and eight for Randall Flagg Even if getting to 4 wins may be a struggle Darlene Darlene Bacola says Arizona State Howard, Tennessee Volunteers And UCLA Billy Woodrum Kind of agrees on my USC thoughts Robert Allcamp says Cincinnati Bearcats 3 point favorites Against UCLA on Saturday Gary Hurst, Boomer Sooner Donna Condrath, UCLA all the way Carol Curick, Kem- uh, Clemson Desi Solis, West Virginia University with a great fan base Bob Feld says I root for whoever USC plays Sorry, Sharla says USC seems to have some renewed vigor uh, We'll see, it's been a long time Between drinks for sure And nephew goes to Bama, so she roots for Bama always But USC fight on And then Shannon Gucci says Bama will not make The college football playoff LSU will beat them as well as Texas A&M That was Shannon Great to hear from all of you out there Now this weekend College football 
Well, let's go back in time a little bit. Week zero, which was what they were calling before week one, right? Week zero. Florida beat Miami 24-20. Come from behind win. They had four turnovers. It was a really ugly game. But Florida had 10 sacks. Both of the offensive lines were not very good. Miami was 2 of 14 on third down. Florida was 2 of 10 on third down. Miami just had 2.4 yards per rush. Florida just had 1.8. Miami dominated the time of possession, 36 minutes and 13 seconds to 23.47 for Florida. But still came up empty. So number 8, Florida. I don't know if they looked like a top 10 team. But they were able to survive. Hawaii beat Arizona 45-38. Hawaii had six turnovers and still won. They dominated the time of possession, thirty-seven uh, over 37 minutes to just over 22 for Arizona. Khalil Tate, quarterback, he had 108 yards rushing. And on the final play, he ended up tackled on about the one, one and a half yard line. It looked like he might have got in, but made a great play from behind. And Hawaii won. They beat Arizona 45-38. Arizona allowed 595 yards of total offense from Hawaii. Week 1 on Thursday, August the 28th, 16 games, beginning with UCLA at Cincinnati. Cincinnati's a three-point favorite. That game's going to kick off at uh, 7 Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on ESPN. That's going to be an interesting game. As I mentioned, I think UCLA has a, a decent shot to hit their over this year. They don't have the toughest schedule. It's not a strong Pac-12. It hasn't been for the last few years. Chip Kelly, another year in their system. Young team. Should figure things out a little bit better this year. But this will be an interesting game. This is not the game I would play. I would play some games more down the road. Maybe when UCLA is at home, they're probably going to be a little bit better of a play. On Thursday in those 16 games, you'll see number 17, UCF. Number 1, Clemson. Hosting Georgia Tech. Number 12, Texas A&M. They host Texas State. Number 14, Utah at BYU. Utah's minus 6.5. I would take BYU in there, especially if it gets up to 7. But uh, that game just seems a little high for me on the road. That feels more like it should be you know, 3 or 4 Utah. So I would play BYU there as your home dog. A couple other games. Minnesota opening up and Arizona State opening up. So a nice Thursday slate with 16 games and some... Uh, some pretty big powerhouse teams when you have your number one team in the nation, Clemson, hosting a game. They are 37-point favorites, so there are some big, big lines. And these slated games you just mentioned, 48.5, 37, 33, 13.5, and, and 24. Friday, eight games. Number 18, Michigan State. We'll be hosting Tulsa. Number 19, Wisconsin will be playing. And then we have Colorado State at Colorado and Oklahoma State at Oregon. So those are some of the uh, the games that highlight the Friday college football slate. And then on Saturday, 57 football games, 57 college football games. The first window of Saturday morning games, you'll get number five, Ohio State. They are a 27.5 point favorite. You'll get number 21, Iowa State opening up. They're an 18.5 point favorite. Nebraska, they're a 36 point favorite. All of them are at home. They're in that early window. The next wave of games, you'll get to see number 13, Washington, open up. They're a 21-point favorite. Alabama, number 2, they're a 34-point favorite. Number 15, Penn State, they are a 39.5-point favorite. Number 25, Stanford, they're a 6.5-point favorite. And number 22, Syracuse, 
at Liberty. They're a 19-point favorite. After that, Boise State at Florida State. Or Florida State, that game should be a close game. Florida State's a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Georgia at Vanderbilt. Number three, Georgia. But they are a 21-and-a-half-point favorite at Vanderbilt. LSU is a 27-point favorite. They host Georgia Southern. Michigan hosting Middle Tennessee. Michigan's 34.5-point favorite. Oregon is at Auburn. This is one of the big games of the weekend. Number 11 at number 16. Auburn, a 3.5-point favorite. So you'll get to see number 3, Georgia. Number 6, LSU. Number 7, Michigan. Number 11, Oregon. Number 16, Auburn. All playing right then. Kind of in that same window. Number 20, Iowa will be hosting Miami of Ohio. Number 10, Texas hosting Louisiana Tech. Washington State Number 23, hosting New Mexico State, and then USC will close things out against Fresno State. 7.30 on Saturday night, USC is a 13.5-point favorite against Fresno State. On Sunday, Houston at Oklahoma, number 4, Oklahoma, they're a 23.5-point favorite. And then Monday, the number 9, Notre Dame Fighting Irish will play at Louisville. Notre Dame is 19 points the favorite. USC. Their over-under this year is just seven. Not not your typical over-under you'd see for a USC football team. They're a 13.5-point favorite, though, against Fresno State. That feels just like a little bit too much. They do not have an easy schedule to start. They play Fresno State, and they play Stanford, and they go at BYU, and I just talked about how I like BYU as a play at home against Utah. Then USC plays Utah. So that'll be a good, very big kind of game for USC to watch and get an indication. Two teams they'll be playing in the first four games of the season. Then they go at Washington and at Notre Dame. So those six games to start. Fresno State. Let's say they're a 13.5 point favorite. Let's say USC does win this game. They're 1-0. Then they play Stanford at home. Then they go at BYU. Then they play Utah. At Washington, at Notre Dame. I mean, the Washington and Notre Dame games are both probably losses, right? At Washington, at Notre Dame. So those are two losses already in the first six games. Then what about the Utah game? What about the BYU game at BYU? What about the Stanford game? Stanford, BYU, Utah, Washington, Notre Dame. Those are five losable games in a row. They could come out of that stretch one and five. They could come out two and four. They could come out three and three. I don't know if if they came out of that stretch four and two, they're a pretty good football team. And I just don't know if they could do that. And then the rest of the season, you have Arizona at Colorado, you have to play Oregon, at ASU, at Cal, and then UCLA. That's not an easy schedule for the uh the Trojans last year who had their easy schedule or the Trojans this year who had their easy schedule last year. And they didn't capitalize on it. Coming off a horrendous year. If things go slow early, when will it it come time for them to make a change and to really get rid of the coaching staff? Because I like Helton. Nice guy, just not a head coach. He's not quite ready to be a head coach at a big program like this. And and, and unless he proves me wrong this year and USC does very well, it just seems like it's been kind of a, a wasted few years and a lot of talented recruits who come in here and – who have not really improved. College football in full swing. Let's talk a little 
Lakers. So there were a couple uh, Laker subjects in the media, like always, right? First, the Lakers, after DeMarcus Cousins' injury, the Lakers signed Dwight Howard to fill their final roster spot. Did I like this move? You know, initially, no. I don't. I didn't love it. Would I have signed him? No. But is it really that big of a deal when you look at the terms and what exactly happened? No. It's a non-guaranteed contract for a guy who's trying to prove himself. He's going to be playing 15 to 20 minutes a game. He's, he's not going to be playing 35 minutes a game. Don't look at his career numbers and expect him to be that guy. The reason why I prefer someone like Dwight Howard versus someone like Carmelo Anthony because the role you need Dwight Howard to play, right, is a solely defensive role. He's never been a very good offensive player. He's never had a post-up game. He's never had more than just to go right at you and dunk and just kind of be more athletic than you game, and he's not really that anymore. So if if he can just play defense, which has been what he's good at, he's a three-time defensive player of the year. If he just does that well for 10 minutes each half, eight minutes each half when he needs to come in and back up, not even that sometimes. Can he do that? Will he have the ego? Will he be okay with making sacrifices and trying to help a team win a championship? We'll see. I think you give him a shot now. That's what they decided. He sold them on himself and he has to buy in. If not, you just cut him and then you sign someone else you buy who is a, a buyout from in in the season. So we'll see how how this continues. Kuzma had a small injury. He couldn't remain with the USA basketball, but he's already back working out. He's getting ready for the year. I think it was more of a precaution than anything. He played really well. I, I stayed up and watched a couple of the games, and he, he looked like he's a little bigger. He wasn't really taking bad shots. He hit a couple, uh, a couple threes. He shot really well playing for the uh, USA basketball. There's going to be a lot of pressure on Kuzma now without Cousins around, who would have probably been a little bit of help and kind of strung, and strengthen their bench a bit. So they're going to need Kuzma to take a step forward defensively. He's going to have to help again and really go back to how he shot from three when he was a rookie. We're not expecting Kuzma to shoot a percentage that he's never shot, but he shot 36% from three as a rookie in seven and eight attempts a game. Then last year, he overall, he actually shot better but not from three. He was only 30%, and he was one of the worst three-point shooters in the league statistically in 9.5 attempts. Even if he's just somewhere in between those, he's like 33 to 34% on the amount and the volume he's going to shoot from three this year, that will really, really help. He's been working with a very good NBA shooting coach named Lethal Shooter, and the thing about Kuzma, he works hard and he's going to let you know that he works hard. He's a big fan of Kobe, who recently has been in the news because he was being interviewed at a, with an entrepreneur and it was a, on, on some streaming platform. And he said that if Shaq had worked harder, they would have had 12 rings. And they kind of went back and forth. And then Kobe was joking and he, you know, he, he said Shaq would be the first to say this. Which Shaq's kind of joked before that he didn't work hard and then he didn't come in, you know. Here's the thing. Kobe's right. But that's Kobe, right? Kobe's always saying things like that and that's going to bother people. So Shaq came back and said Kobe should have passed the ball more in the Piston series. 
that 2004 Pistons series when the Pistons won four games to one and they beat the Lakers. Kobe scored 22 points a game, 2.8 rebounds, and had 4.4 assists. He shot 38% from the field, 17% from three, and Kobe had 18 turnovers in those five games where Shaq had 26.6 points a game and 10.8 rebounds, and he shot 63% from the field. But Kobe was just hucking it up, and he was not having it. So they went back and forth a little bit, um, but Kobe squashed it and said, no, there's no beef, we're, we're too old. But it it was funny. I'm sure Shaq was a little bit bothered to hear. Andrew Luck. It, it was... Really surprising to hear about the Andrew Luck retirement At 29 years old After 6 NFL seasons He was Second In passing touchdowns Only behind Dan Marino Who had more throughout his first 6 seasons 171 He was third in passing yards Only behind Peyton Manning And Dan Marino so to give you an idea of how good Andrew Luck was in his first six seasons, those are a couple of pretty good lists to be on. And I tweeted out, I was a little bit shocked to see the response. Not not even the response of the Colts fans that booed him when he was out on the sidelines, because the the it came it came out weird, right? It came out on Twitter, and then after there was a press conference, and the fans had booed Andrew Luck as he was walking back, and. I tweeted out, if you're saying anything negative about a 29-year-old who retired from a job that could have paralyzed or killed him, guy who has suffered many life-changing injuries and has a baby on the way, maybe think twice before tweeting or saying something stupid. And you know, and you looked around, and there was a lot of players that were coming out in his support. Richard Sherman, this was a rough game. Many people who have not played at this level will not understand what we put our bodies through season after season. We don't need sympathy. This is what we signed up for. But to boo a man that battled for the city is disgraceful. I wasn't as much upset about the the, the booing as I was about the the tweet the people like tweeting about how this was not what he should have done or he did the wrong thing. And and then you look and you see that through his career he's had torn cartilage in two ribs, partially a partially torn abdomen, a lacerated kidney that left him peeing blood, one concussion at least, many more I'm sure. A torn labrum in his throwing shoulder And this calf ankle injury That led to this Which Was a really rough Calf ankle injury So Obviously A bummer for him, he wanted to play I think, you know, you have a A little bit of a different perspective When you've been through as many Injuries as he had, remember he's had to miss an entire Year, he's had to rehab, he's done this Over and over and over again And he just lost The want and the ability to have fun He's not a normal guy really, and I say that in a good Sense in that he is a Very very smart From Stanford Educated Player, he stayed in school He's always been very cerebral when you hear him talk He likes to read He just doesn't feel like uh, it was worth risking you know, serious, any more serious injuries And I don't know when there would have been a perfect time for him to make this announcement People said he should have done this earlier Maybe he did it later Well, I think he was doing everything he could to try to get back And the body just gave up on him And it just gave up on him 55-33 and 33 record overall Andrew Luck Good luck 
in your post-NFL life, whatever you do. Episode 4 of Raiders Hard Knocks opens up with the guys that are close to getting cut and the you know, coach is talking about him about how they need to clean things up. He's not sugarcoating it for them. Let's him know he likes them as players, but he doesn't like all of them as uh he likes them as people, but not all of them as players. And he said, you know, he, he's giving it to him a little bit, trying to get them a little pumped up for their their final opportunity and their final big week uh, before the, the the cuts come up. See Antonio Brown at practice. Two weeks till the start of the season. He's got his new helmet on. He's already talking about how it's hurting his head. And he's got a hickey on his head from from the helmet. And they're going to be breaking camp. They're going up to Canada for a preseason game. And that's going to be it for, for camp. The roster is going to be split in half. They're going to ha- be half focusing it on the Packers and making the team. And playing in this preseason game. Those are a lot of the players on the bubble. The other half kind of focusing on to the start of the season, improving, working on keeping getting to getting keeping getting better. Tight end Luke Wilson, he's from Canada, so he's right at home when they head back up to Winnipeg. The coaches uh, are kind of all messing with him. They're asking Luke for advice about Canada. They're asking him for what do we say? Is the greetings? What's up with the money up there? Is it like a bartering system? They're singing Oh Canada. They're Asking him to translate things into French They're talking about Mike Myers and Drake And then Luke actually says it's between Drake and Wayne Gretzky now, they're neck and neck He said he thinks Drake might have passed him up After all the Raptors stuff Darren Waller, he seems to be having the good support System with the Raiders, he's had a lot of problems And issues with drugs now And he's going to 12 step meetings all the time He's going to one up in Napa Previously he thought he could do it alone Thought he needed it But now he knows he needs the community And the team and the support around him you're going to hear a lot of knock on wood if you hear me. Knock on wood if you're with me, man. Knock on wood if you're with me. They have a montage of Gruden quotes, and it is just amazing. It's just all the one, a bunch of one-liners. Um, we have a chance to be one hell of a big story here, man. We're here to help. We're here to help you, man. Don't grab jerseys. Don't do it, man. Take the son of a bitch with you. Pound the ball right up their ass That's just good NFL prep This is a funny one That's just good NFL preparation Practicing against Practicing against yourself Against your own team in shorts Gonna practice again in shorts This is the goofiest things Gonna Gonna stay hot We're gonna keep putting wood on the fire (laughs) Uh, Don't Wait, don't shove sand up a flea's ass. Sometimes I can't read my own writing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do not cut your pants. And then he's counting back from 100 by threes. They're just getting all the good good Gruden clips. Weird, goofy stuff. They're getting ready to make this final roster, make it a 53-man roster. We see wide receiver Marcel Aitman and uh, Derek Carr. It's kind of, he's just demanding a little bit more from his wide receiver. I like how Derek Carr has come off in these episodes So I want you to have 100, not 99 Just asking for a little bit more See linebacker Jason Kabinda Who calls his mom on FaceTime And she becomes a big uh, star of this episode She is hilarious, she's great, she's got a lot of personality He has tickets for her For the Canada game, she's very excited He's Cameroonian, he was undrafted Got cut last year by the Raiders And then he rejoined the roster 
He's struggling a bit at practice, but he's working through it. Seems to have respect to the team. He's battling. We check out some rook- the the rookie wide receivers that we've seen: Keelan Dawson, Hunter Renfro, the rookie fullback Alec Ingold. They were all having fun and joking with each other, and Keelan Doss gets up to sing. As now we have the uh, the part where all the rookies have to come up and sing. He does "My Girl." He does a pretty good job with "My Girl." Jonathan Abram up to sing. He does uh, "You Got It, You Got It Bad." Alex Ingold goes up and he's doing uh, uh, "Ain't Too Proud to Beg." I know you want to leave me. But I refuse. He gets booed out of the building. Uh, Trayvon Mullen tries to do Lean On Me again, which has already been done. He gets booed even worse. AB, Antonio Brown, he's reading his fan mail. He's enjoying the love. And he's showing that, you know what? Not everybody hates AB. Max Crosby, the D-end rookie, he has the screws in his arm right now. And he wants to play, but he... He's he's frustrated, he's antsy It's the first broken bone he's had in his life He just is trying to get back Now they're off to Winnipeg, Canada Jason Kabinda Meets up with his mom And they're having fun with their phones Taking pictures, she's giving him a, a hard time They brought less of a group with them So Those that are there could play more And they're all set for preseason game 3 they're playing on a field that's a little bit smaller And what happened They tried to remove the goal post To make the end zones bigger for this preseason game And The teams were not happy with the field Because there was patches in it So they end up shortening the field It was really bizarre The doctors for Green Bay did not think it was safe Carr and AB are joking before the game They want to play, they want to warm up Gruden's like, ah, yeah, no no way They want to run a go route on the, on the first play to AB they end up shortening the field. There's no kickoffs. They end up setting the ball at the 25 yard line and go and having them go. They bring the end zones up. Gruden is not happy. He is all confused that the referees are explaining everything. Mike Glennon starts the game and he is really struggling. So is Luke Wilson. He's not playing well in front of a uh, a lot of people who know him well up in Canada from his home country. And then Peterman comes in and he really has a very good game. They nice chemistry with Keelan Doss again. They are down 21-10 at halftime, though. They the defense is really struggling. They are not playing well, not a ton of bounce. But we keep getting flashes of Jason uh Kabinda's mom. She is funny. She knows what she's watching. She's got personality. She's in the stands and she's telling everyone what's up. Now the Raiders are down 21-13. Gruden looking for someone to make a play. He wants Keelan Doss in. And Keelan Doss starts making some plays. Peterman looking very, very good. He finishes the game with a game-winning field goal drive. The Raiders win. And Peterman, 23 of 37 for 210 yards and two touchdowns. Gruden's loving Peterman, and they really like Keelan Doss. You could tell Nate is excited. This is the best he's looked all throughout the preseason. And the Raiders might keep three quarterbacks. Antonio Brown out there signing autographs. And and he ends up going to uh, the high school game at De La Salle. I went to La Salle High School. It was a La Salle school, but not as good of a football team as Concord De La Salle up there. He's talking with the fans. He's taking selfies. They're loving him. They're chanting A.B. 
So looks like Antonio Brown now. He's got the helmet. He may be settled in. We'll see if things go wrong. But maybe if they win a game or two, then maybe you'll get the good AB. If win a game or two early, maybe they upset a team or two. Gruden goes to see his son Jason, who just graduated from high school, and he wants to be a fighter, a UFC fighter. He's training in the cage. So we see him working out, and Gruden's there supporting him. Next week, the final episode of Hard Knocks. It is cut time. Raiders, Hard Knocks. Final episode five next week. Had fun recapping it. We'll get through the final one next week. Before we get to the fantasy football, we're going to break down all the wide receivers. We're going to go through 60 wide receivers. We're going to go through the top 20 tight ends. Want to let you know that a sponsor of this show, CindyCarava.com. Cindy Carava is a full-service realtor. She's out here in the San Gabriel Valley in all of North San Diego County. I've known her for a decade. She's one of the sweetest people I know. She can help you with anything you need in Real estate, full service realtor, buying, selling, leasing. If you're looking for just to find the value of your home, if you want to improve your home at all, she is the perfect person to get in contact with. CindyCarava.com for all of your real estate needs. Or you can send her an email if you have any questions. If you just want to uh, talk to her a little bit and maybe you can look into some of the properties. CindyC.realtor at gmail.com. Wide receivers, fantasy football. Hey, let's go through the tiers, and we'll we'll talk about you know everyone based on their average draft position, their ADP. When you're looking at the wide receivers this year, I mean there are a ton of really quality wide receivers, and I believe there's a top tier that begins with four. To me, it's DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams, Michael Thomas, Julio Jones, that's the top four tier of wide receivers. And actually, I'm not going to talk you off drafting any of them. If you end up with DeAndre or Devontae, you're going to be in great shape. DeAndre Hopkins is going around picks 5-6. Devontae Adams is going around 9 or over. I think his ADP average draft position ADP is about 9.3 right now. Say 9.3. Yeah, it's just the average of, of where he goes. So slightly over 9. But of those top four I mentioned, I actually prefer Michael Thomas and Julio Jones. I think they're just really safe and really steady. Michael Thomas last year, 125 receptions last year, 7.8 per game. He had an 85% catch rate. He's going in the average draft position of 12.3, so after pick number 12. I would love him as my wide receiver one. Julio Jones... He averaged 104.8 yards per game last year. His average draft position is also over 12, 12.8. I'll take the two of them. If you can get them at the turn right there. Wow, what if you got those two? If you can get Michael Thomas, Julio Jones together. If you're in a 12-team league, and you can get him right there at the back end of round one, and you want to go just wide receiver, wide receiver. Those Those four are legitimate wide receiver ones. The next tier, you have Tyree Kill, who's going around pick 16, a little over pick 16, 17 yards per reception last year. He's a fine, and he's steady, and he's a big play, and he's in a great offense. I don't love him as much, but again, if he's your wide receiver one, you're not in bad shape. Odell Beckham Jr., I think he's going to have an amazing year. I'm expecting him to have a huge bounce back year. His average draft position is around 17. He... Last year in 12 games, still had 
over a thousand yards, seventy-seven receptions, six point four receptions per game, and thirteen point seven yards per reception. And he averaged over eighty-seven yards per game. So it felt like it was a really bad year for him on a really bad team, but he still puts the numbers up. That's what ODB does. And he's going to be in a better offense this year on a better team. Legitimate wide receiver one. Juju Smith-Schuster. He had 111 receptions last year. 89 yards per game. 6.9 receptions per game. He's going at the average draft position of 18. 17-18. And remember, he did a lot of that last year with Antonio Brown, who's going as the ADP of 23. And... I'm warming up to Brown more I don't like the idea of Brown as my wide receiver one But if I can have him as my wide receiver two I like that Because I think this is right where The wide receiver ones that I'm going to try to get I want to get one of these in the top two tiers And then I think Mike Evans completes this next tier That has Tyreek Hill, Odell Beckham Jr., Juju Smith-Schuster, Antonio Brown, Mike Evans I have them all in a tier Mike Evans is the ADP of 22 it's 17.7 yards per reception this year. The only thing about Mike Evans is there's a lot of buzz about Chris Godwin this year. But no Deshaun Jackson. Adam Humphreys is gone. Mike Evans will have plenty of opportunity. The next tier, I have Adam Thielen, Stefan Diggs, and Keenan Allen in a tier together. Thielen's going around pick 25 overall. He had 113 receptions last year. Remember, he had 100 yards Every game in the first eight games, he had over 100 yards for eight straight to start. Tailed off a little bit at the end of the season as Minnesota struggled. Things got a little cooler. Diggs was one of only 11 players last year with over 100 receptions. He's going at the ADP of 35. I think he's really good value at the, around 35. He's a good high-end wide receiver too. If you went running back heavy early Or if you, if things went different for you Like this is the bottom end Of what you could reach for I think As probably one of your wide receiver ones With Thielen, Diggs, and Keelan Allen You don't want to get too much deeper than them If you're looking for one of your wide receiver ones Keenan Allen I'm a little bit worried about He's going as a dra- ADP 27 Just not as high on him as I am On the Minnesota receivers In, in this particular tier A little banged up early on Good possession receiver but doesn't get as many touchdowns Now with Hunter Henry around He's going to take some touchdowns away Mike Williams continues to ascend there Amari Cooper He's going as pick 32 overall And he's had some foot heel injuries He's been on track though for week one I... I'm just not... I've never really been an Amari Cooper guy He was just a little too inconsistent for me I'll prefer in this tier That's Amari Cooper, Brandon Cooks, T.Y. Hilton, Robert Woods I'm going to take Brent, the two Rams receivers I prefer T.Y. Hilton's on the way down His ADP is down to 41 After the, the news with Andrew Luck And Brandon Cooks His 80 receptions last year Quietly really good He's going as ADP 39 Right behind that Robert Woods 14.2 yards per reception last year 86 receptions He's going as uh, average draft of 43 overall Okay with Woods And with Brandon Cooks so would target one of them Could be a nice wide receiver too 
And then your next tier, I have Julian Edelman, Kenny Galladay, Chris Godwin, Tyler Lockett, Cooper Cup. Edelman, last year in his 12 games, really good, 6.2 yards per reception, or 6.2 receptions per game. He's going around pick 43. Kenny Galladay is going around 48. 15.2 yards per reception. Really good and standard. Chris Godwin was 14.3 yards per reception last year. And with no Deshaun Jackson, no Adam Humphreys, he has been a real buzz guy. He's up to uh, ADP of 49 overall. Tyler Lockett's right around there at 49. And there is a lot of room for targets back there. He is more of a standard type. It 10 touchdowns last year and 16.9 yards per reception. But I expect him to get more targets this year, so he could be even a little bit better in, in PPR, uh, but standard, definitely, for Lockett. And then Cooper Cup, in his eight games, he had five receptions a game and 14.2 yards per reception. He's going around pick 49.50. That's a little high for me on Cup. The injury still worries me a bit, so I'd just like to see him out on the field a little more, and you're not going to get that opportunity Next tier, Calvin Ridley, A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, Mike Williams, Alshon Jeffrey. Of this tier, Calvin Ridley, not as high on. I need to see a little more from him year two, and I want to see him in this new offense. A.J. Green, the earliest we're going to see him back is week three. If you have two or three wide receivers already, then maybe you take a shot on him, but I'd prefer his teammate who's going to be actually playing, and that's Tyler Boyd going around pick 57. He had 5.4 receptions a game last year, and he had over 1,000 yards in 14 games. Mike Williams is a touchdown-scoring machine. He had 10 touchdowns out of his 43 receptions last year. 15.4 yards per reception. He's going around pick 59, and the word is that he's going to be targeted even more this year, as one would expect. Alshon Jeffrey, crowded, a little bit high, to pick him around ADP 64, but he's still talented and able to go for a big week any week. That's just a problem with the Eagles offense this year. I feel like there are so many players that could go for a big week. It's just going to be hard to gauge which one. DJ Moore, 14.3 yards per reception. He's going as uh, ADP 66-67. Eh. I don't really love this tier much. Jarvis Landry, I liked him a lot last year, but now I'm concerned how will... Odell Beckham Jr. impact him Chubb is around Uh, They have a lot there I don't know if he's going to get as many targets As we expect Josh Gordon He's going around ADP 73 Now he We have a lot of question marks about him Big upside But do you want to Waste a season long pick on him He's more of someone I might play in in Daily fantasy weeks Because you know if he's in a game And he's healthy he's going to play But then with all of his suspension issues through the years, he's tough sometimes to spend a high pick on. So don't reach for him. Robbie Anderson, he will improve a little bit. He was 15 yards per catch last year. Allen Robinson and Will Fuller, I like the most of this tier, Will Fuller. In his seven games last year, 15.7 yards per catch, 11.2 yards per target. He had four touchdowns, and he had... Over 71 yards a game He's going at around pick 78 So of that tier With Moore, Landry, Garden uh, Gordon, Anderson Robinson, Fuller I prefer Will Fuller The next grouping 
You have Dede Westbrook, who had 66 receptions last year and 4.1 receptions per game. He's going as ADP 86. It's not bad at all for Dede Westbrook. Christian Kirk is a real high upside player. He had 13.7 yards per reception this year, but I'm I'm a little bit more concerned than most are about that Arizona offense. I don't know if Kingsbury is going to be able to come in right away and just make things happen. Sammy Watkins, I usually stay away from. He's in a good offense. In this tier, I like Didi Westbrook. I like Marvin Jones. 14.5 yards per reception last year. He had five touchdowns. He's going as ADP of 93. He could be a, a, a wide receiving starter for you. Corey Davis, I generally stay away from. He's been very inconsistent and he hasn't really taken the next step. Sterling Shepard should have plenty of opportunities. He's been a little banged up, so keep an eye on him injury wise before you right before you draft. But last year, he had 107 targets even with Odell Beckham Jr. And he has no Golden Tate to deal with the, for the first four games. He could be a good DFS play to start the season too, first few weeks. Curtis Samuel had seven touchdowns last year. A couple rushing touchdowns. The next tier, I love Emmanuel Sanders. Actually, two that I really love in this tier. Emmanuel Sanders... 71 receptions in 12 games, 886 yards, 5.9 receptions per game. He's going as pick 96. Why? He is really consistent. He's very good. I love Emmanuel Sanders at 96 if he's anywhere near there. Reach a little and get Emmanuel Sanders. Larry Fitzgerald, 4.3 receptions per game, 10.6 yards per reception last year, but... I, I struggled with Larry early throughout a, a lot of last year, and then he kind of came on a little bit late. I don't think he has a lot of upside. Pettis, he's had a minor groin injury, and he's been a little struggling in camp, but he should get a lot of targets. Cold on Pettis. Cortland Sutton, I want to see how he does with Flacco. And then a couple Green Bay receivers coming up. First, Marquez Valdez Scanling. I got to see a little bit more from him and from James Washington. Uh, both, I I just, I don't like as much as I like the other Packers wide receiver. Oh, it's so funny to be seeing you after so long, girl. From the way you look, I understand that you are not impressed. Well, I heard you let that little friend of mine Take off your party dress I'm skipping ahead now Cause it's Geronimo Allison I know this world is killing you Allison Aaron Rodgers' aim is true. Aaron Rodgers' aim is true. Geronimo Allison, ADP 123. Last year, in the first four games where he was a big part of the offense, he was targeted 8, 6, 4, and 11 times. No less than 64 yards in those games, and he had 15.5 yards per reception. I think he's a very good late-round 123 ADP. Next here, Deshaun Jackson, Tyrell Williams, Dante Moncrief, Anthony Miller. Of them, if if 
AB isn't around or struggles, then I would upgrade Tywell Williams, who's the Raiders' number two. Dante Moncrief, uh, he could get the number two targets now for Pittsburgh. Anthony Miller, he missed a few weeks with an ankle sprain. He had a decent year where he had seven touchdowns in his rookie season, even with some injuries and just 33 receptions. And then let's go to the deep, kind of the the sleepers. Golden Tate, not bad on the bench. He's going to be out the first four weeks with a PED suspension, but when he comes back, he could help you out. John Brown at pick 55. He's good in standard. He's the late-round pick with some upside. He's getting a lot of praise in camp. Devin Funches, maybe. He's pick 57 now with Indy and the news with Luck, obviously. But I still think you're not really wasting a pick on him. He's just he's basically free. I like Jamison Crowder quite a bit late, creating some separation um, in the slot with Gase quite a bit. He's a good late-round flyer. Cole Beasley at pick 89 late in PPR. Not a ton of upside, but you're going to get a few catches each week with Beasley. And then Hunter Renfro, the rookie from uh, the Raiders we've seen in hard knocks, starting slot wide receiver for the Raiders. There's 60 wide receivers for you. Best of luck. Let's get to your tight ends. I'm going to have to go as deep into the tight ends because really I think you want to get one of these tight ends, okay? Your top tier of tight ends, there are three. It's Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, and Zach Ertz. Last year, Zach Ertz broke the tight end record for catches. He was second in the league in receptions with 116. Shattered a bunch of tight end records. Kelsey had 103 receptions and 1,300 plus yards, and Kittle had 88 receptions and 1,377 yards receiving. Those three had monster years. They were three of the top 14 in receptions. Kelsey's going right now. He's a little, his range is a little wider, like anywhere from 15 to 20 or so. And the more I'm looking at Kelsey, the more I'm really liking him, especially if you can get him. If you could, if you were somehow able to get him in round three, where you could get a wide receiver and a running back and then Kelsey, wow, that'd be great. Last year, he scored the most points that any tight end has scored in fantasy in the last five years. I'm even warming up to him a little bit more in round two with his 6.4 reception per game last year. He's in his prime right now. He's a stud. George Kittle, his ADP is 31. 1,377 yards receiving last year. Yeah, that's more than Travis Kelsey had. And he only had five touchdowns, but he had 15.6 yards per reception, 5.5 receptions per game. Maybe he doesn't have as many yards this year, but maybe he scores more touchdowns. If he scored 8 to 10 touchdowns, it wouldn't surprise me. So maybe things do even out a little bit if he doesn't have as big of a year racking up the yards, but he does have a big year getting in the end zone. Zach Ertz, ADP of 30. I'm cold on Ertz. So of the top three, if you could get Kittle around 30, 31, I'd prefer. But I'm more of a weight on tight end unless you're going to reach and and you love Kelsey. I don't want to get Kurtz, uh, Kurtz, Zach Ertz. My buddy James Kurtz is an Eagles fan. Zach Ertz, ADP of 30. Tight end record of 156 targets last year. 
But there's lots of mouths to feed in the Eagles. You could tell I'm kind of cold on the Eagles' skill positions. I think they're going to be a really good football team, but I don't think they're going to be as great in fantasy. They're going to have a lot of players that you could use to fill in, but I don't know each week which one of them you can trust the most. A lot of skill, but maybe not as much opportunity. I'm expecting some regression. He's even said the same. Because you look with, you know, they have Dallas Goddard coming up in the mix there in, in Philly. Miles Sanders, Jordan Howard, Darren Sproles. Three backs that they're going to try to get involved. Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, Nelson Aguilar, Arcia Whiteside, Dallas Goddard now too. There's a lot going on there. Okay, after those three, last year no other tight end averaged more than 4.4 receptions per game. So we're, we're looking at players now in this next tier of three who have had some health injury, uh, health issues, injury issues, but they have big upside. OJ Howard, in particular, he's going at pick number fifty-seven overall, and your number four ranked tight end at eleven point five yards per target in his career. That is the best of all time for a tight end. His sixteen point six yards per reception is the most of all tight ends last year. No Deshaun Jackson, no Adam Humphreys. A lot of open targets. He's been on the field in the preseason in 21 of 22 plays with Jamin Winston. So we'll see what the the new offense does with Howard. But I'm not going to talk you off him. Still a little higher than I'd like to to go and get him at. In this tier, I'm not as high on Evan Ingram. Of the three, I would have him ranked third. His ADP is 61. At 11 games last year with 45 receptions. And remember, there's no Tate in the first four games. So it's going to be Barkley... Shepard and Evan Ingram as you know, getting all the uh, the offensive touches, but when, what about Eli? I like Hunter Henry. Missed all of last year with the torn ACL, but now he's healthy because it wasn't an injury at the end of the year. He's healthy now, and there's no Antonio Gates. There's no Melvin Gordon to start the season. He had Hunter Henry had 12 touchdowns in his first two years, even with Antonio Gates in the mix, getting 145 targets over those two years. And now there's no Antonio Gates. And if there's no Melvin Gordon, who scored a lot of touchdowns, short touchdowns, or the touchdowns out of the back, uh, you know, through the air, little play action, Melvin Gordon was really good and improved last year catching passes. That's going to help Hunter Henry quite a bit. I like him a lot. He's the number one tight end I'm trying to target. And he's the sixth overall ranked tight end. Jared Cook, number seventh ranked tight end. He's going at pick around 70. He got over 100 targets last year, and he was basically a wide receiver one for the Raiders when you know they got rid of Amari Cooper, and Cooper had the issues. He's projected 780 yards and six touchdowns this year. That's okay. He's just not someone I love. I'm not going to talk you off. Like, even... The, the tight ends of of, that, of these first seven That I'm not as high on I don't think they're exactly going to have bad years right? Like Ertz is a little higher than I'd want I, I'll, I'll take Kelsey or Kittle in that first tier though Howard's a little higher than I want But I still think he's going to have a good year Evan Ingram, I don't like him as much I love Hunter Henry And then even Cook, I don't love him as much But he's probably pretty safe in, in New Orleans Now with Drew Brees I like Vance McDonald He's going around pick number 90. No Antonio Brown, no Jesse James. Vance McDonald was the number 10 tight end last year with them. If you just combine the tight ends in Pittsburgh last year, they had 80 catches, 
And over a thousand yards and six touchdowns With Antonio Brown around There are just going to be more opportunities for Vance McDonald He doesn't have to Even get a ton more run To finish as you know tight end Seven or eight And He'll be worth the value Of where you select him Najoku was going around Pick 100 he has a great offense around him But I'm worried about his target share as I mentioned with Jarvis Landry, now you have Odell Beckham Jr. coming into the mix. Baker Mayfield's there. Nick Chubb's in the mix. I don't think Nujoku, even though he's really, really talented, will get a ton. He just had to miss a week with a knee injury. He has produced, though, even in, in a couple week tight end years. Eric Ebron, I'm really against him. He's going at pick 85. He had 13 touchdowns last year on 66 receptions. Really, I'm going to say lucky But it was very Unlikely to happen again Devin Funches, Jack Doyle Now in the mix to gobble up some of those targets In the red zone And no Andrew Luck Austin Hooper is the number 11 ranked tight end He's going around pick number 127 It's 71 receptions For 660 yards He's pretty safe, 4 touchdowns He's not going to be a like a game changer for you And he has a new offensive coordinator to deal with Delaney Walker, he's going around tight end 12, uh, average draft pick of 115. He missed all of 2018. Prior to that, he was a very steady tight end, but he's getting older now. He's into his middle to late 30s, and I wouldn't really want to pick him and and count on him unless you're going to have him as your tight end 2. Trey Burton is one of the lower tight ends that I really... like quite a bit. Actually, the next two, Trey Burton and Mark Andrews. First, Burton... He was tight end 7 last year. Remember all the buzz on Trey Burton? He's going at pick 147. That was his first season on a new team with a new quarterback. He was a big breakout candidate. Let's give him a shot, one more shot this year. Basically free. Mark Andrews, ADP of 142. 16.2 yards per reception last year. He had 34 receptions and 552 yards and three touchdowns, and now it's just his second year. He could take a big step forward because it's not easy for rookie tight ends. Since 2013, there have been 70 rookie tight ends taken in the NFL in the NFL draft in the first six rounds, and only one have, has had a top 12 fantasy rookie year as a tight end. After Mark Andrews, then then you get to a lot of the veterans. Greg Olson, you know, he's had back-to-back injured years. I'm going to stay away from him. If you have to get to Jimmy Graham, his numbers have been better than looks the last few years, but he's been disappointing. I think a lot of that has to do with he's been drafted higher than he will be this year. He's basically free there at the end of the draft unless you're playing in two tight end leagues. These are These are like in the stream area, though. Like if Eric Ebron's out, Jack Doyle should upgrade. Jordan Reed... He's around ADP 155. You know, you've had some frustrating years with Jordan Reed because he's super talented. I can't have him as my tight end one, maybe tight end two, and then he has a good year, and and then you can start to use him week to week. Chris Herndon suspended four games, maybe as a tight end two for later. And then TJ Hawkinson, he's the rookie tight end. But as we mentioned, the rookie's just unlikely to get in the mix. Dallas Goddard, almost like a tight end handcuff. Because if Zach Ertz gets hurt, then maybe Dallas Goddard's at least a good starting tight end. And then Tyler Eifert, another one who just had some unfortunate injuries. But if he's healthy, he's not a bad week-to-week play and maybe more of a DFS play. 
Here are your tight ends for fantasy football. Good luck. So, if you missed last week, we did running backs and quarterbacks. And now we hit the wide receivers and the tight ends. So, we, we had all of your skill positions there for you to help you in your fantasy football drafts. Let's get you the horse racing news. Recapping some of uh, Traverse Saturday. The big races, the grade one. Forgo, we saw Matoli, really impressive, he broke on top, he was in the two path, he was just outside Promises Fulfilled, who then shot up the inside, and those two battled for a little while, Frenzy Fire moves up four wide with a bid, but no real challenge for Matoli, Frenzy Fire just up late for second, Matoli gets the win, Frenzy Fire second, Killy Beggs captain was third. A nice bounce back win for Matoli. He's shown now that he can press when he's able to get to the outside of the other speeds. That's key. Just like a lot of speed horses, they don't. It's not easy being on the inside of other speeds, as we saw. And Matkoli was one of a few horses that didn't have to didn't go really wide and win, and was able to kind of battle and stick around early on because this track was not playing very well to horses on the inside or to horses that were like right on the lead in the Grade One Ballerina. There were a couple scratches that kind of changed the complexion of the race before it started. Minute to Stardom and Pacific Gale scratched. So that changed the early pace because Minute to Stardom was probably the quickest in the race. Pacific Gale would have at least pushed it a little bit. Come Dancing has a slow start. Gets squeezed back. Separation of Powers gets the lead. Mia Mischief is pressing. Come Dancing moves up three deep early into contention. Moves to the lead when asked. Opens up at the top of the lane. Come Dancing gets the win over the long shot. Don the Destroyer and then Special Relativity rounded out the try there. The grade one, Alan Jerkins. We saw Chancelot. He's a step slow from the rail and that that might have been his the doom because he's in the bad part of the racetrack on the rail and he went to a 45-58 half mile on the rail, he opened up a three-length lead early in the stretch. He had the lead ten yards for home. Mind control, Hog Creek Hustle, and Rowayton all coming at him. He ends up third by just a neck. Mind control gets the win over Hog Creek Hustle over Chancelot in a really fun renewal of the Allen Jerkins and play Chancelot back next time. I mean, he's going to be probably just in the Breeders' Cup sprint, maybe a race before that. Maybe we see him in the Malibu at the end of the year. That was that was a good effort. And he just gave it up late. The grade one personal ensign. Coach Rocks broke on top. Elate was three deep. Was two lengths off. Midnight Bisu was actually back to last. Kind of scratching your head early. Elate moves to the lead in the four plus path. So Elate now and these jockeys are starting to know this. You don't want to be on the inside. Staying in the best part of the track. Gets the lead and a two-length jump on Midnight Bisu. Midnight Bisu then makes her move. As soon as Elate takes the lead, she follows. She moves up the outside of Elate. They throw it down in the lane. Elate has the advantage until very late in the stretch. Midnight Bisu gets the victory. She has the slight advantage late. Great horse race. In my opinion, it was probably the best horse race, the best stretch duel of the year. Midnight Bisu wins. She was 8-5. to five. Elate was 4-5. to five. She's a Julie was third. Chad Brown unleashes another one in the grade one sword dancer. Annals of time, only making his third start since September of 2017, wins a grade one impressively. Grade one winner back in 2016 
when he won the Hollywood Derby over Beach Patrol. Annals of Time wins. Sadler's Joy ran second, and Channel Cat ran third. This is the same owners as Bricks and Mortar, so now they'll have to see what to do with their very, very talented turf distance runners, and if they split them up heading towards the Breeders' Cup. Because that's the that's been the the talk with bricks and mortar. Is he in between? Is he gonna where is he gonna be at his best? He's not a miler. He's not really a mile and a halfer. So we'll see. If those aren't his best. The Travers looking at Bikini stumbled at the start, and that just changed the pace. Tacitus with the blinkers on, he ends up on the inside and on the lead into the turn. So Tacitus, the horse who's always unlucky and. Who's always the one that people are In my opinion legitimately talking about The excuses that he has He's had legitimate excuses He again ends up in the worst part Of the racetrack on the inside Where you don't want to be Mucho Gusto then ends up going off Clears off, takes the lead by a length Tacitus backs up on the inside And then Tacitus goes back up the inside To take the lead Taxes three deep just off Mucho Gusto and Tacitus They go up to battle at the top of the lane And then here comes Code of Honor Down the center of the racetrack To draw off and win Code of Honor was inside early on He was ninth. He was 5 About 6 lengths off Gets off the inside And he was guided All the way around He waited to get outside Before launching And it was a very good ride Code of Honor gets the win Over Tacitus And Mucho Gusto Rounds out the try there In the Travers A couple other bits of horse racing news Mosito Rojo Five-year-old, based in Louisiana, 16-time winner, earned over 649000 a five-time stakes winner, and a grade three winner will be headed to Churchill Downs to take on better in either the grade three Lucas Classic or the grade three ACAC. He's won four in a row. G-Money, Gerard Melanson, was aboard. Improbable won uh, his most recent start. It was the Shared Belief Stakes. He's a grade one winner, and now he will be pointed to the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile That Shared Belief wasn't a grade 1 stakes But he is a previous grade 1 winner World of Trouble 4 for 4 on the year Is one grade 1's on the dirt and the turf He has a foot injury that's been forcing him To miss time and he's going to miss his next race And he will need things to go perfect for him In order to make the Breeders' Cup Omaha Beach Seems like every time we talk about Omaha Beach, it's a different bit of news. He's now pointing to the grade three ACAC at Churchill Downs September the 28th. Horse racing, best bet for you, Friday, August the 30th at Del Mar. Let's get to race number one at Del Mar. And the horse I like is the eight Trojan Spirit. If you look at the races that Trojan Spirit is coming out of, they're just much, much better. Most recently, he was 3-4 wide all the way around. It was in a field of seven. He just never had a shot going so wide. He just got hooked wide. He was behind Unapologetic, who's a seven-time winner, and Red King, who was just third before that race in the grade three San Juan Capistrano. Trojan Spirit is now in the 49-2. Who in this race scares you? Just compare the fields that he's coming out of. You see Acker, Dr. Troutman. He was wired that field on June the 15th. Legitimate excuses for his last two starts. Now he's going to go third start off the break. He hadn't raced between February and June. He could be set for his best. He's going to drop down in class. The real concern is that he doesn't have a ton of speed. But when you look at the field, 
I think there should be enough speed to set up a rally for him. From the inside, I wouldn't be shocked to see a little bit more pace from War Chest. You know you're going to get the speed from He's Like Violence. Chosen Vessel, I wouldn't be shocked to see him showing a little more pace from the outside, having to get up into a nice spot. So maybe that's enough to set it up for Trojan Spirit. If you get anything over 7-2, to two, he is worthy of a win wager there. Trojan Spirit, the number 8 in race number 1 at Del Mar on August the 30th. Let's close things out with a little WWE discussion. Raw. What happened on Monday Night Raw? Just some tidbits, some things we liked, some things we didn't like. Opened up with Sasha Banks cutting a promo. It was okay to start. Her and Natalia got into it. She said that, uh, you know, Sasha mentioned that she is the talk of the division. She's the boss of the division. She deserves all the glory. And her and Natty brawled for a little while. They had a match later in the night that Sasha Banks ended up winning. Natalia tapped out. We had a King of the Ring first round matchup, Ricochet versus Drew McIntyre. This was a pretty good match that was a little bit surprising to see Ricochet get the win clean over Drew McIntyre, someone who many picked to win this tournament. Next week, Ricochet versus Samoa Joe on Raw. Our next King of the Ring first round match was The Miz versus Baron Corbin. This was the final first round matchup. This was just an okay back and forth match. I love Miz. He's just so much better as a heel. He's just a little bit flat as a face. And they just never give him any wins. You just never believe that Miz is going to beat anybody clean. We're so used to seeing him have the cheat through the years to beat everyone. Corbin could be a good king of the ring. I don't like him, but as far as the heel shtick, he wins the match, he beats the Miz, and then afterwards he heads to the back and he stops... Uh, over at the seat he, on the throne He puts on the crown And he talks about how the fans voted For anyone to win the tournament except for him And how he's never cared about the what the, what the fans think And he, King Corbin actually doesn't sound bad We got Bailey versus Nikki Cross It was a little sloppy Bailey gets the win, they're building her up Bailey was so good in NXT In the ring And not only is her character not Really hot right now But her matches and her match quality has really suffered in the last year, year and a half. We have a tag team turmoil match for number one contendership of the Raw tag team titles. Remember, Seth Rollins and Braun Strowman are now your Raw tag team champs after they beat Gallows and Anderson last week, the OC. So in this match, it's Heavy Machinery, The Revival, The B Team, Lucha House Party, Robert Roode and Dolph Ziggler, Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins, the Viking Raiders, and then Gallows and Anderson. It starts out with Viking Raiders and the B team. Viking Raiders get the better of the B team. Then it's the Viking Raiders and the OC, Gallows and Anderson, comes out. This ends up a double DQ when both are just brawling. So the next two teams have to come out. It's Rude and Ziggler and Lucha House Party. Rude and Ziggler get the win there. They eliminate them. And the Revival comes out. This was a pretty fun interaction for a few minutes with the Revival. Dawson and Wilder against uh, Ziggler and Rude. And 
they went at it for a while. And Rude eliminated Dawson. And it was Ziggler and Rude versus Hawkins and Ryder. They got through them pretty quickly. Uh, So Ziggler and Rude continue to go on. Then came out Heavy Machinery. And Rude and Ziggler finish them off. They are the new number one contenders. And they actually cut a pretty good promo after. I like the two of them together. They seem like they're two solid wrestlers who just didn't have anything going on for a while. They've done so many starts and stops with Dolph Ziggler. And it seems like they've done that a few times now with Bobby Robert Rude. Ronda Rousey is going to be in the next season of Total Divas. So is Sonya Deville. So they'll probably get some good ratings there with Ronda. We then got that Sasha-Natalia match where uh, Sasha Banks beat Natty. Natty taps out. Cedric Alexander's getting a nice little push. He got a clean win over Cesaro. And Cedric is one of the eight remaining in the King of the Ring. I'm not a big fan of what they're doing with the Street Profits. They're like the hype guys backstage, and they're basically just promoting everything that's going to happen on the show, and they're never really talking about themselves. Uh, not not huge on that. I, lo- I think they have a lot of talent, especially Montez Ford. They need something better to sink their teeth into. The main event was the U.S. title match between Braun Strowman and AJ Styles. This match... Gets interrupted, as expected, by Gallows and Anderson. And they end up turning it so AJ wins via DQ because the referees see Braun with a chair and the referee disqualifies Braun. They, they think that Braun used the chair on AJ. Raw was better than SmackDown. It was okay. This wasn't the greatest week. But on the Raw side, for the King of the Ring... We have Samoa Joe versus Ricochet next week And then Cedric Alexander Versus Baron Corbin So they're in the Elite 8 Of the King of the Ring Those are the final 4 on the Raw side And they're really teasing That Seth Rollins and Braun Strowman Are are the tag team champs right now And Seth is also the Universal champ And Braun Strowman might have a match For the United States Championship so they're teasing that Braun Strowman could have all three titles by the end of the night. They haven't set anything as far as an AJ Styles-Strowman match yet, but that's something that they've been... They were kind of pushing heavy on Monday. The fact that Braun could leave Clash of Champions with all three of those titles. US title, Universal title, and the tag. Close things out with some SmackDown. Remember, folks, if you can, get the iTunes, SoundCloud... Subscribe, leave a nice little five-star rating and review, YouTube, tune in, Google Pods. So on SmackDown, it was really a lot about the uh, the Daniel Bryan, Roman Reigns, Rowan, who hit Roman Reigns with the car, who's been attacking Roman Reigns storyline, and it was not well done. You could tell that they are just trying to prolong this for a while. It, it was not... Good, and I, I don't like that Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns have been kind of involved in this and having to sell it. We saw Kofi Kingston and Randy Orton continue with their feud, and 
Orton beat down Kofi. Orton talking about how Kofi's son wrote him a letter. I don't mind the the getting the kids involved, but this felt like something that they just did recently, and it, it didn't seem very creative or very fresh. I loved everything with Big E. Big E is ready for a main event push. He came out, stood up for Kofi. He cut a real intense promo. He was having a great match later on with Orton. We'll get to that in a second. Ali versus Buddy Murphy in King of the Ring. Ali gets the win in a really good back and forth. Fans were chanting. They were loving it. And so they just gave Buddy Murphy a big win over Daniel Bryan. And now he loses in round one of the King of the Ring to Ali. But Ali, they've been they've been kind of hot and cold and starting and stopping with his pushes for a while too. Ali will face Elias on the SmackDown side next week. Bailey, The Miz and Sami Zayn had a match. Um, that just ends with Nakamura beating down The Miz. We get a Bailey versus Lacey Evans match that just lasts way too long. And it was okay. I thought it was, like I said, with, with Bailey, it felt like she's been real sloppy. Randy Orton versus Big E. I love Big E as a singles. I would l- really hope he gets the opportunity to get a big push. And man, if somebody takes the title from Kofi and if Big E was able to go after that and, and win it, that would be great. That'd be a good storyline for him at some point. Randy Orton gets the win here, but it was with help from The Revival who comes out because they've been sort of in alliance with Randy Orton and The Revival. I like the three of them together, actually. Orton and The Revival make a lot of sense. Drake Maverick, your 24-7 champ. He's running around, going crazy. He loves that title. And then we have uh, Shelton Benjamin versus Chad Gable in the King of the Ring first-round matchup. Chad Gable gets the win here. The crowd did not seem very interested in this match. They didn't really love it. And then to close things out, it was that Daniel Bryan, Roman Reigns storyline. Daniel Bryan is talking with Roman Reigns, and Reigns shows the footage that a few weeks ago, there's a focus on the hooded man, and it's actually Rowan. And remember, they had the other guy who looks like Rowan there last week. This just wasn't very well done. And I I like anything that's going to involve Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns in ring. But I don't like this storyline one bit. WWE needs to improve this a lot. Thanks for listening in, folks. Appreciate this really diverse episode of That's What G Said. Thank you for making it a part of your week. And we'll have another episode out for you. It's going to have lots of uh, weekend horse racing and tons of different subjects. So pay attention for that one in just a few days. Have a great evening.